And Father, we just thank you for your great love, your love that is great in magnitude and great in quality. It was able to save our souls. It's what held you to the cross, and it's what will receive us into your presence. And so, Father, we just lift up this time once more as we open your word that you would teach us, guide us, instruct us to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor. Greetings. I'm a little out of sword here. I think so. I might. I think I'll survive. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. We'll be picking up at verse 8. And as always, if you arrived here without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if you'll raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Right here and right here. Um, As uh, Scott is doing that, um, keep my mother-in-law up in prayer, Karen. My wife had been visiting her, spent a week and a half with her. This morning she had some kind of episode, and she's currently in the hospital, and they're going to be doing an MRI. So if you think of her, just lift her up in prayer. Let's go ahead and pray right now. Father, I lift up my mother-in-law, Karen, to you, and I just pray, Father, that you would be her peace and comfort. We pray, Father, if there's something there that needs to be revealed and dealt with, that, Lord, you would, you would reveal it. And so, Lord, we know that ultimately you're the healer, so we just place her into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of other things. We had our golf tournament yesterday, and it went really well. It was a great time of fellowship, and it was just all that it could be. I want to thank everybody that was associated with it, everybody that made donations to it to make it all that it could possibly be. And then a slight rebuke here. I am shocked and appalled at the ignorance of this church. This is serious. Well, some, I mean, they don't know their colors. Somebody was saying something about a pink shirt that I'm wearing. This is salmon. Because when my wife gave it to me, I told her, I'm not wearing no pink shirt. And she said, it's salmon. So I said, okay. So I don't want to hear anything about it. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word and let everything else go. Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession." For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, once again, I pray as we open your word that we would see the power of it, the importance of it, and the necessity of it. That, Lord, we would embrace it and realize the great work that you do through it. And so, Father, again, we lift up this time to you that you would bless us, teach us, and prepare us for every good work we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. The last time we met, last week was Father's Day, but two weeks ago, we saw a tale of two people. We saw those without peace in their Christian lives, but we also saw, in contrast, those who have found rest in the Lord. The difference between the two? Well, those who have found rest have learned to truly what it means to trust in Jesus Christ, to trust in Jesus Christ in every aspect and facet of their lives. 
those without peace, we compared to Israel, as the writer of Hebrews does, wandering in the wilderness, afraid to enter into the promised land because, well, those in that promised land seem bigger and stronger than they are. And that was true. They were, but they were not stronger than God. And you must consider where God has called you to go and what God has called you to do, more than likely it's bigger and stronger than you. It's something that you are ill-equipped and unable to do, but the fact of the matter is, as God has called us, God will enable us, because God is greater and more powerful than all. And you know those people, and maybe you're even one today who are not trusting in the Lord, and those who don't trust in the Lord are never really sure of their salvation. They come out of Egypt, maybe they raise a hand or walk down a Nile, but they exhibit no trust in God and his ability to keep them in this life. They have every excuse, according to their own opinion, why they don't do what God has called them to do, but in actuality, in the sight of God, nobody has an excuse. Those who rest, that would be a picture of Jacob and Caleb, men who understood their God. They understood the magnitude of their God. They saw the promised land and they saw the beauty of the promised land, not allowing those of the land to defile their, well, their trust in God and their knowledge and what God is able to do. Matter of fact, these are men who understand this New Testament promise in Ephesians chapter 3, speaking of God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. It's as if Paul is writing this and he just can't express what God is able to do in, in, in such detailed terms. And so he just, he just lets it all out here. This is my God who's able to do exceedingly. That's not enough. Abundantly. That's not enough. Above all that we, even of what we think. And we've got to understand that that same God that allowed Israel to eventually to enter into the promised land same God that the Apostle Paul is speaking of is your God today. And that God, well, he's told us of those things in the past so that you would realize and understand how God works in our present day today. And so the same God that did miracles back then will do miracles even today. So those who worried and wandered, they all died without rest in their lives. Those who found rest, they entered in eventually into the promised land. And you could classify the majority of the church, the people within the church, in one of those two categories. And as always, don't look at the person next to you, but consider yourself today. There's those who trust in the Lord, and they have peace and joy in their Christian lives. And so is, this is the mirror, the Word of God, and what reflection are you seeing? Are you seeing the reflection of peace and joy in your Christian life? Don't let that be superficial. Don't let that get past you. When you look at yourself... When you look at your situations and circumstances of today, do you have peace and joy in your Christian life? If you have trust in God and the understanding of who God is, how could you not have peace and joy? When you understand the great reward that God has waiting for you, how could you not have peace and joy? And I'm not here to condemn you if you come to me afterwards and say, I have no peace, I have no joy, but we're here to help you. And, and the first step in this help is to recognize that, you know what, I'm missing something in my Christian life. And as these things in our Christian life, as all things in our Christian life come from God, you need to understand why I'm not, they're there, but why am I not grasping on to them? The world seeks after these things. Bookstores are filled with self-help books, but this isn't about self-help. This is unlocking the reality and the vastness of God and who God is. How, what I mean by unlocking? Because we have locked him out through unbelief and a lack of trust. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 tell us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, that means you're praying in faith. Let your requests be made known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard you. It doesn't say he's going to give you everything you want. But it's going to guard your hearts and minds. You're going to have peace and you're going to have a comfort in this Christian life. And it doesn't mean it's the peace of God that surpasses understanding. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. You're not going to be skipping down the yellow brick road singing, This is the day that the Lord has made. There's going to be hard times. But the peace of God that surpasses understanding, that's having that peace, having that contentment might be a better word. 
in the midst of everything that we see going on in life and everything that we experience going on across the world. God's not going to make the world better. Matter of fact, I read to the end, it's going to get a lot worse. But how about, I can have peace and comfort when times are really good. That's just a natural. Now, if I can find peace and comfort, if I can find contentment in my life when it seems like everything is falling apart, I'd have this life whipped. And that's what God has, he offers to us. Even in the midst of hard things, and again, when we don't understand, we understand that God is in control and God is constantly doing a work. Now, last time we met, we closed with three building blocks necessary in a believer's life to find rest for their souls or contentment in their Christian life. And the first one, and it seems like it's always the first one, is faith. Look at verse 2 of this chapter. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. I must have faith in my Christian life. And what am I having faith in? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I can't just have faith. That makes absolutely no sense. That's really called delusion. I need to have faith in something. Well, the world would teach you to have faith in yourself, but I know how many times I've even let myself down, how many times I've failed, and even best case scenario, how many times I thought something was a good idea or a good way to go, and I was just simply wrong. I must have faith. And what do I want to have faith in? I have to have faith in God. Faith in God and who God is and in God's word and the direction that God has set before them. So again, Israel, they're at the border and without faith in God and God's word and what God told them to do, they couldn't enter into the promised land. They had 38 more years of wandering in the wilderness. But it was the next generation that entered in, even in the face of overwhelming odds, if you will, They were the ones to find victory, contentment, and peace. Second building block in order to enter into God's rest is his promises. Verse 3, for he who has believed, for he who has believed, do enter the rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. You're entering in to what God has already completed. We're told in Isaiah that God inhabits eternity. That means that next week, God inhabits your next week. Let's will it down. God inhabits tomorrow. So whatever is going on tomorrow, you're entering into what God has prepared for you. Some of those things are going to be what we would consider good. Some of those things would be what we would consider hard. But that being the case, nothing is really bad. Some things are really hard. But in actuality, they're not really bad because these are things, according to the intellect and the sovereignty of God, that has been prepared for his people. This is a great hope that we have. And we've got promises that God will never leave us nor forsake us, that all things will work together for the good. And so I've got this confidence and I should have a contentment for today. Now, I remember when I had my electrical business, there was some times when things were going, they were going pretty hard and difficult, the job's going upside down or whatever, and Friday, I just wanted to get done with the day and just get into the weekend. But with that mindset comes Sunday, usually Sunday afternoon, you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach having to go back to that situation. But when I come to an understanding that God is already there in dealing with that situation, I can have peace for today. The third building block, in order to enter into God's rest, understand that time is truly of the essence. Look at verse 7. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, notice how he repeats it. That means right now. If you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And as you're looking at the word of God, hear God's voice and hear what he's saying to you. And don't harden your heart. Don't say, yeah, well, it probably won't work that way for me. Yeah, my situation, well, you don't understand what I'm going through. God does. God does. And God's going to meet you in the midst of it. Don't harden your heart because you just become cynical and your Christian life is just going to be a misery to you. You find contentment in your Christian life when you open your heart to the Lord and the things of the Lord. You understand that the things that we're reading about even right now are promises given to all of his people. 
And if you're not a his people here today, by faith you can become one, and these things are open to you. Again, I'm not preaching an easy life here, easy Christian life. I'm talking about having contentment in the midst of all situations and all circumstances. And now as we continue on, we see his rest. First of all, we see in verses 8 and 10 a deep spiritual rest. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. So this was an illustration that the writer of Hebrews is using, but he's speaking of something much greater. He says in verse 9, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his, God's rest himself, also ceased from the works as God did from his. Deep. What is deep? And what does it mean to have a deep rest? Well, if salvation is at the surface, and I'm not saying salvation is superficial because obviously it goes deep, but I mean on the surface of what you're able to see and what you're able to know and others are able to see and others are able to know, then when you probe deeper and you should be able to probe deeper within your heart, the inner person of who you are, do I really have rest? Do I really trust uh, do I these things, do I, have I just buried them deep in order to ignore them and just endure the rest of this life? Or am I able to have victory in my Christian life by exposing things? Because when you expose things, things get dealt with. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? It was all fig leaves and hiding in the bushes. That was a bad thing. What was so bad about it? If they were effectively able, which they weren't, but if they were effectively able to hide from God and hide their sin from God, then it never would have gotten dealt with. And so as sin is revealed, it's at that point that there's the potential for dealing with it. It's like us and our salvation. One of the first things that needed to happen that I became aware of my sinful nature because if I don't, then I never repent of it. And so it was necessary for me to be exposed, and the most necessary person for me to be exposed to was myself. God already knows. And really what I'm talking about here is is just coming to the point of admitting where I am and who I am. And so Israel, as they wandered in the wilderness, they were delivered from Egypt. But still the pressures of wandering in the wilderness and the disobedience that we see, well, eventually they all died there and they never found rest. They were always wandering around. They were always looking for that which, well, God had brought them to right away, but they refused because of a lack of belief. Then came the day. They came the day after 40 years of being released from Egyptian bondage that Joshua, he led not them, but the next generation into the promised land. They had a fight. But once they expelled the the people of the land, they were able to settle into this land that flowed with milk and honey. It was then that they were, if you will, able to put their feet up and find rest in the Lord. And Joshua 22, verses 4 through 5, And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now, therefore, because of this rest, return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do, heed to do the commandment which the law, commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast in him, and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And so this rest, as we're going to be looking at, it's kind of multifaceted. It is finding rest. It's finding contentment. But it's also continued to push on. But the idea is it's not for salvation. It's because of salvation. It says, I realize the magnitude of the rest that I have found in the Lord, the magnitude of the, of the contentment that I have found in him, that I give this all to him. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. And and that which used to be so overwhelming now is even a joy. And so this rest, this rest was conditional as far as what we're speaking of here to Joshua. There was still the work of the law. But here we have a better rest. Again, verse 8, For Joshua had given them rest, and he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. That another day, the other day is the realization of the grace of God. 
that Israel having to keep all 613 of the commandments, they had to wonder, really, where is this rest? Because they kept having this revelation of their sinful nature through the attempt of the keeping of the law. You, and it's that word that is peppered throughout Hebrews, not used here, but I'll use it anyway, we have something better. Something better. Our rest is from the finished work of Jesus Christ. Eight and nine, or 9 and 10 again. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. And again, he's speaking of Christ's crucifixion. For he who has entered his rest, God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. This is that deep spiritual rest that brings contentment and is based upon recognizing the counting of blessings that we have in the Lord. Because remember what the Lord Jesus Christ did? We saw it at the beginning of our study here in Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person, speaking of Jesus in comparison to the Father, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, what did he do? He sat down. We saw it on Thursday night in our study in, uh, in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, in, in John chapter 19. What did Jesus say on the cross? It's finished. All the work has been done. All the work has been done. And so when Jesus ascended to heaven, that's why he sat down. He sat down because, again, the work is finished. That tells me there was a chair, really a throne in heaven for the Lord to be seated upon. But it's kind of funny because when God gave Moses the instruction for the tabernacle, it was to be a representation of the dwelling place of God, of heaven. But the thing about it is, when we look at all the furniture within the temple, there was no resting place. Why? Because the sacrifice had to be continually offered. The priest the idea was you can't sit down here. You've got to keep going because as you keep sacrificing, the people are out there and they keep sinning. But when Jesus made the sacrifice, when he uttered those words, it is finished, God's plan for the salvation of mankind was accomplished. No other sacrifice necessary. And so when we embrace the totality of that sacrifice and what that sacrifice means, it's then that we are able to understand all that the Lord has for us in this present life. Turn over to the left to Ephesians chapter 1. We studied this in detail, but when it comes to counting blessings, if you have issues with it, if you can't think of them or remember them, there are seven of them that are listed here. Seven spiritual blessings that are available to all born-again believers. Now, God had thought this important, that he accentuated this. He, He put an explanation point on it as we see a picture of the Trinity here, the totality of who God is and the full power of God that is included in these blessings. And the first spiritual blessings, well, I'll start reading at verse 3. It says, Blessed be, I'm in Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, that's past tense, this has already been given to us, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So he is speaking to the church. It needs to be understood, not just all of humanity at this point. And in verse 4, we see the first spiritual blessing that a born-again believer has been blessed with. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blemish before him in love. At some point, God looked at you and says, I want them. I want them. I'm not saying there wasn't a choice involved here, but it's God's desire to see you saved. And we can throw a blanket all over humanity, which God so loved the world. There's no doubt about that. And God desires to see all men saved. But you need to make this personal, that God looked upon you and God chose you. Second spiritual blessing, these are blessings from the Father, having predestined us to adoptions as son by Jesus Christ to himself. We are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the the adoption, the adoption only came to fulfillment, came to reality in my life, in your life. It's in the day that I submitted my life to Jesus Christ. And then we see three spiritual blessings from the Son. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. That means you were headed for destruction. 
You were headed for the trash pile, but God redeemed you. That which was previously headed for destruction now has been brought into the house of God, and it's that which we see the value in. In him we have redemption. That's number one as far as the second one's second section from the Son. In him we have redemption through his blood, and next is the forgiveness of sins. And again, this blessing... This is a supernatural forgiveness of your sins. This is God choosing, think of that, God choosing to remember your sins no more. What happens when God chooses to remember your sins no more? They're remembered no more. It's easy stuff. What happens when somebody else chooses to remember your sins no more? Well, if they get angry enough with you, they'll probably come up again. Or if you choose to remember somebody else's sins no more, it can be a stumbling block that you have to constantly overcome. God chooses to see us just as if we have never sinned. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all uh, wisdom and prudence. Having made known, and this is the third one, having made known to us the mystery of his will. God's not keeping things secret. He's not playing games with us. He reveals everything that it is that we need to know. Now, Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us the secret things are the Lord's. And what do we spend so much time trying to figure out the codes and the secret things in the Bible, which is foolishness. God has revealed a lifetime of learning in his word. They're revealed for our understanding. Why? So that you would know him better. And through the knowledge of God, you would find contentment in your Christian life. And then the last two spiritual blessings, those of the Holy Spirit, are in verse 13 and 14. In him you also trusted, in Christ you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed. You're sealed. Look at Romans, don't turn there, but Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And then in verse 14, Speaking of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? The Holy Spirit, the reality of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you. Are you convicted when you sin? Do you understand to a degree what God desires of you? This is the Holy Spirit working inside of you. Again, it's that which I speak of, the timeline of your life, who you used to be and who you are now. That's the proof of your salvation. And so as far as counting blessings, as far as looking at what the Bible says blessings are and realizing the contentment that you are to have in Christ, that God, the Father, he chose you, he adopted you, the Son redeemed you, forgave you, and made known to you the mysteries of his will, and the Holy Spirit sealed you and is the guarantee of your inheritance. When I study the scriptures, when I come to the realization of these things, then I'm able to come to a greater degree of contentment regardless of the things that are going on in my life or even across the world. Now, another thing concerning this rest, it is deep and it is spiritual, but is also accessible and obtainable. This is offered to everybody. Look at verse 11. This is the King James Version. It says, I'm I'm sorry, I'm back in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 It it says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Seems like kind of an apparent contradiction here when it says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. I mean, isn't it by grace? It's kind of like telling somebody to hurry up and slow down. I don't know what that really means. But what this tells me is I've got to be proactive to enter in. I've got to be, I have to make a conscious decision because we make a conscious decision to stay out. Contentment isn't just going to happen. Now, salvation obviously didn't just happen, but you did receive that by grace. It's not of works of yourself by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as far as to enter in, that too is by the grace of God. There's no doubt about it, but you've got to make the effort. You've got to make the effort, just as Israel had to make the effort to cross the Jordan River and enter into the promised land. As they didn't do it, they weren't blessed. And again, the illustration holds true to the body of Christ. I've got to be of the mindset of entering in. Our natural tendency is to wander around and worry, to labor, and to work. But that's not what this is about. 
This is about submitting your spirit to God and to God's will through faith and walking strongly in him, not wandering off, but staying connected to the body of Christ. Later on in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, we're going to be told, and I'm not saying we're told, we're commanded to not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. And it says, even how much more so as we see the day or the end times approaching, as we see things getting harder and more difficult across the world. Now, there will be two revealing factors in your lives that will reveal to you if you are truly resting and trusting and believing in the Lord. And the first is a dissection. And we're going to be looking at this starting in verse 12. But first, when it comes to a dissection, I just want you to understand this. I remember it was in my 11th grade biology class. I heard it was coming, and finally that day was here. We had these pie tins. They were filled with paraffin, and each one of us had that and a couple of pins on our desk, and they gave us the frog. It was finally time to dissect the frog. Now, why did we dissect a frog? To see what was inside, because there was just no other way that you were going to be able to see what's inside. Problem? You saw what was inside, but it wasn't very pretty. It was kind of an ugly, disgusting thing. And then on top of that, the frog died. Matter of fact, it was the first thing you did. You killed the frog. Well, the born-again believer, well, the Word of God, it reveals what's inside. And the beauty of it is, for the believer, you don't die. Matter of fact, you have life more abundantly. And again, this is a great promise that God gives. Look at verse 12. For the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Five ways based upon the word, or based upon how the Word of God is described here and based upon how the Word of God interacts in our lives. And the first thing we see concerning the Word of God, the first way that the Word of God operates is it is living. It is living. It's not just words upon a page. What do I mean by living? Well, when people catch a virus, and in, I did pay attention for this section of my biology class, that means that you are what is called a host. When you get a virus, something living enters into you. And it can have a positive effect. I don't know if viruses can have positive effects, but it can also and usually does have a negative effect. It can enter in and it can lie dormant, but it also can start to take over your body, even to the point of your death. And and so a virus, a virus would be something very serious as this living thing enters in. Well, we are told that the word of God is living. That means it's literally, it's fully functioning. It has vital power in itself And it exerts the same upon the heart and soul and body of a person. It's that living as the word of God enters in, it is living, but instead of our detriment for the born-again believer, it is that which is going to be for our betterment. And we need to understand the value of the word of God. And really the beauty of the word of God is how it's inserted. It's just simply inserted through somebody speaking it and somebody believing in it, really, through faith. In Acts chapter 7, verse 38, this is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. Speaking of Moses, as he received the word of God, he refers to them as living oracles. The word of God is living. The problem is, is on the other side, is with men's words. Men's words in the sight of God are dead. There's no life within them whatsoever. The most foolish thing, especially a Christian, but even an unbeliever, you know what I think? Every stupid statement that has ever been made has been prefaced with, you know what I think? I'll listen and and I'll have respect for people, but I don't really care what you think. I try not to tell you what I think. It's all about what the Word of God says. Because there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. Don't let, that get, don't let that get past you. There's a way that seems right to a man. Man has developed all kinds of good ideas out there. 
But the problem is they're not good in the sight of God. And they're probably contrary to the word of God. And they lead to spiritual death. When you stand before God and you're going to tell God, I mean, really, you know what I think? Well, you're not going to because the Bible says every mouth is going to be stopped. God doesn't want to know. Well, God already knows what you think and it means absolutely nothing to him and it's not going to influence him. Ask somebody, if you were to die today, where would you go? Well, I I would go to heaven. Why would you go to heaven? Because I'm a good person. Well, a good person. The Bible says none are good. Well, my God would not send anybody to hell. Well, your God is a false God. Your God is based upon what you think. And what you think has absolutely no bearing upon truth. Hopefully you enter into truth, but you cannot develop truth just by thinking it into existence. Truth is already there. We enter into truth. And so we have to have that mindset, especially when it comes to the Word of God. I've read some pretty poetic writings, some very long-lasting words of men, but none that were alive and none that were able to change my life and have an effect upon me. It's why we, I say we as a society, why our society goes from one fad or one philosopher to another because they get worn out and moving on to something. Well, the previous one didn't work. Let's go on to something else. Look how our philosophers of the day change. This music act that used to be so good and so profound and so eye-opening in the past, well, after a while, I got sick and tired of it, and you went to the next one and the next one and the next one. That movie that you watched that you thought were so profound, years later you watch it and you see how foolish it really was. And again, there's man, he's groping in the dark, he's trying to find truth. He's trying to find something that makes sense of it all, but in actuality, apart from God, he's never going to get it figured out. In Acts chapter 17, verse 21, the apostle Paul realized this when he entered into Athens. It says, for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear of some new things. The problem is men's philosophies, men's ideas are void of spiritual life. Maybe they can offer at best a temporary band-aid, but they cannot take care of they cannot handle the situation that man finds himself in so the word of god first is living secondly it is powerful this is the greek word energonuma or energy it means to be at work to be active and effective it's living it's there but it's also energized there's one thing to be living but there's another thing to be living and to be moving In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, but also for the Greek. When he says Greek, he means Gentile. And what we saw here when we studied Romans, the word is not about God's power. It's not the source of God's power It's not the channel for God's power. The word of God is the actual power of God. When preached, it will be demonstrated in the saving of men and women's souls. It will open their hearts to themselves for the purpose of truth and for the purpose of change. In Romans chapter 5 verse 6, when we were still without strength, when we were powerless, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So just as the word of God did the work at salvation, it will continue in your life to do a work of sanctification, to continue to separate you from the world and bring you closer to God. Thirdly, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. This is an instrument that divides as no other instrument is able to divide. You've heard of the surgery necessary to separate Siamese twins. There's two that were connected at the head about a year ago that they separated. They had to go in there and they had to do delicate work with this instrument, with a scalpel. So much more I know was involved, but they had to separate them and they went in and they did the cuttings where cuttings were necessary in order to bring that new life. Well, there's not an instrument around or a surgeon alive who can divide soul and spirit. They can't even find those two things. They can't put their finger on those two things. These two key elements of a person, although they exist, they can't be physically found. And really what we have here in verse 12, we have is a picture of what is called the trichotomy of mankind. Mankind is body, soul, and spirit. 
So we see body and the joints and marrow. Now, what the writer of Hebrews is trying, the point he's trying to get across is how deep the word of God goes. Now, he's using the idea of cutting somebody open. So back in those days, you would cut somebody open and you wouldn't see their, their organs. But he wants to go deeper than that. And that you'd see their bones. But he wants to go deeper than that. And so in their mindset at that time, the, the deepest that you could go inside of a body of a person is the marrow. Is, is cutting open the bones, and, and that's about as deep as it goes. And so that's how he is making his point here with the deepest penetration that you can make in somebody's life. I would say today, if it was written, it would be to the DNA of a person. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. And so as deep as they were able to go then, or at least to express the deepness of how the Word of God is able to penetrate, I can relate. It pierced me deep into the very DNA of who I am. Secondly, it separates the soul. Soul is your psyche. This has to do with your mind and your intellect and your emotions, the people who you are. My wife and I, we two become one, although God has given her certain elements of her personality, and the same thing with me. She likes to cook. She likes to read. She likes to do women's teas. Me, I like sports. I like golf. I like to go and kill fish every so often at the lake. And then the spirit... The spirit is that which was previously unalive, but God caused to come alive. We're not going to turn there, but you can see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It's that which the unbeliever is void of, but we who were dead in our spirit through our sins and trespasses, God has caused us to come alive. So you need to see how sharp this is as it divides each off for the purpose of revealing, but also for the purpose of ministering. And then, fourthly, the word of God, it pierces. The idea is it will do so cleanly, quickly, and deeply that it will be able to penetrate any veneer or even the hardest of exterior. Now, again, thinking of this mindset of battle, the armor that they wore, this word is able to penetrate that and dig deep down into body, soul, and spirit. I used to wear the armor of an unbeliever, or maybe the armor of unbelief. Didn't want to hear it. I would flat out lie to somebody who tried to preach the gospel to me. I already know it. I already hear it. I'm already involved in it, which I wasn't, but it just got him to shut up, and that's all I really cared about because I didn't want the revelation of my sin or the conviction of my sin to haunt me. But that hard exterior, sooner or later, it was penetrated by the word of God. And there was the conviction there. There was the knowledge of my sinful state and the reality of who God is. And also, God revealed to me that there was going to be a judgment, a day of judgment, that I was going to have to give an account of myself to him. In John 2.25, we're told that Jesus had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in the heart of men. He also knew what was in the heart of that woman at the well. He also knows what's in your heart, and he also knows what's in my heart. And then fifthly, the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. This last one is important, especially for us here today who are believers. That word discerner, it's the Greek word that we use for critic. And the whole idea is conviction, is conviction through the word of God. It's that critic that that shows me and reveals to me when I'm not walking strongly or I'm not walking rightly with God. It's that which reveals that which maybe I'm, well, I put the facade up to hide it, but God tears it down and reveals. Because again, even in a born-again believer's life, it's necessary to reveal sin in order to deal with sin because hidden sin never really gets dealt with. Well, Pastor Mike, I'm born again. I'm going to heaven. You already told me nothing can separate you from the love of God. But do you want to wander in the wilderness for all of your Christian life? Do you want to have those worries and concerns and all of these things that a born-again believer who's not trusting in God has? Or do you want to be set free in Christ? Let the Word of God penetrate and reveal. And again, it's not about revealing to anybody else, but really to yourself. Because when it's revealed, then you're able to repent. And when you repent, God's going to cleanse. This is how it works. Not making this stuff up. It's been written in these books for over 2,000 years. And really, it's been written 
from the mouth of God for all of eternity past. This is how God deals. Men's good ideas have clouded the truth and the reality of God's word. Don't allow that to happen. Don't allow your own opinion to do that to you. But understand that this is the reality of how God works in people's lives. Verse 13, and there is no creature, no person, we'll make it personal, hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so you can believe that you're hiding something from God, but anything hidden from him, not dealt with, you're going to take to him and it's going to be exposed. Allow God to expose it even today so that it gets dealt with today, that you find that freedom in the Lord. And then lastly, we just saw a dissection, then an inspection, verses 14 through 16. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Now, sometimes the Lord uses an intercessor. And a lot of times as a pastor, I have that opportunity. I'll have that opportunity. We'll just use the example of marriage counseling. We sit there and we go through the counseling. And this has happened before. And people don't want me to see who they really are. Now, they'll tell who their spouse really is, but they won't admit to the things that they do. For some reason, they're thinking that if they hide these things, I'll think better of them or whatever. I don't really know. But the problem is, is that when we go and we think we accomplish something, or I think we accomplish something, and two months later, they come back and they got this other, well, I thought we discussed all that. Well, I didn't tell you about this, or I kept what they're saying is I kept this hidden. Well, when you keep something hidden, it just does not get dealt with. And the idea is, is to reveal it. Now, believe it or not, and I know this is going to be hard for you to comprehend, but myself and my wife, we don't have the perfect marriage. Now, we've got a great marriage, and I think we have the best marriage that we can have, but nobody has the perfect marriage because you're two imperfect people. But so when people come into my office, I can relate to some of the things that they're going through. And, and I can even be convicted of maybe some areas that I'm falling short. Am I having the same effect upon my wife that this guy is through, you know, what he's doing to her? And so, you know, there's got to be a constant evaluation. And so when people come to my office, I, I don't stand up and say, you know, point the finger and say, what a bad person you are, because I can relate. Matter of fact, maybe I was even there at some point before. So regardless, and I've heard everything, believe me, heard some pretty bad stuff. I can still relate. Not that I did those things, but we've all thought of those things. Maybe we've all been tempted in those things. And so what it does is it opens a heart of compassion for the purpose of revealing, for the purpose of dealing, for the purpose of dealing with the situation. And what we're being told here is that we have this great high priest. He was tempted just as we all are. And the idea is he understands. He understands what temptation is. He understands the draw. Now, he's never given himself into the sin but he understands the temptation of the sin. See, if Jesus was never tempted, then him overcoming sin wasn't that big of a deal. But since he was tempted, wow, he overcame. When he was tempted in the wilderness, he was really tempted to do those things. There was that, because he was fully God, fully man, there was that desire, that desire was there, because if the desire was there, then the temptation wasn't really a temptation. But he overcame these things. Why? He can relate. When I speak of my struggle to the Lord Jesus Christ, he can relate. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what we go through. He knows the age that we live in. He knows the temptations that are out there. He understands that we're not going to be perfect people, that at times we're going to stumble and fall. And since he knows, and, and, and since judgment hasn't come upon us right away, ought we not to open our hearts to the Lord? Ought we not to omit these things, to come before him and to repent and, and to understand that just as truly as I'm faithful to repent, he's faithful to forgive. I'm not going to have any time that I come to the Lord and repent of something or admit a sin in my life and he thinks, oh my gosh, I can't believe Mike just did that. 
No, nothing surprises God in this area. In 1 John, and I'll close with this, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, notice it says, if, if we confess our sins, it says, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a big if. Allow yourself, through the word of God, to be open before, the God, before God and allow these things to be dealt with in your life And it's only then that you're going to find peace and you're going to find contentment for your souls. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us this word that reveals these things for the purpose of dealing with these things. But Lord, I pray as we're always the weakest link, I I pray, Father, that we would get this. I pray that we would embrace the things that were talked about here today and that we would understand, Lord, as we give of ourselves to you, it's you who do this great work within us. Lord, we so desire and we'll seek in so many different ways to find contentment in our life. The world seeks of drugs and they seek of alcohol. They seek to find contentment in relationship or philosophies, entertainment, wherever it might be. But the only place that true contentment, true lasting contentment comes from is a right relationship with you, Lord. And so because of that, we just thank you and we just praise you, Lord, that you have brought us into your family. But Lord, as we have been brought into the family, I pray, Father, that we would act accordingly, that, Father, we would lift one another up. Lord, that as sin enters into our life, that we would confess it, deal with it, and, Father, that we would be a people who move on, that we would encourage one another and we would strengthen one another. And if any one of us is overtaken by any trespass, that, Father, we would help them to bear their load to see them restored back to full walk with you. And so, Lord, if there's anybody in this room right now that you have been speaking to, if there's anybody here, Lord, that has been hiding something deep within inside of themselves, not admitting it, not repenting of it, Father, I just pray that you would convict them of that one more time, that you would be their critic, the critic of their lives, that you would reveal something, Father, that may be there that needs to be dealt with. And I pray if this is you today, if you've yet to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if there's something deep inside that you've been, well, you haven't been dealing with, that you've been more busy hiding it than confessing it, I pray right now that before God and, and before the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would reveal that right now, that you would lift your hands up. And again, we're not going to make a spectacle of you. This is as eyes are closed and heads are bowed. If there's something that needs to be repented of in your life, there's something that needs to be released, just lift your hand up, and I'm just going to acknowledge it, and I'm just going to pray. Is there, I see your hands to my left. I see your hands to my right. This is between you and God. I don't have a clue what it is, and we don't need to know what it is. The confession is made before the Lord. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? If you're in the overflow, you can raise your hand there. You're, you're, God sees you. You can put your hands down. Father, I lift up those who have lifted their hands before you, Lord. And Father, as you are faithful, I pray that you would meet each and every person. I pray that based upon the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would have this confidence of the release of sins, of the release of worry, of the least of those things that we so easily harbor. And again, Father, we would find our freedom in you. And so we just lift up this morning, and I pray for those who lifted their hands, that you would fill them with your spirit and give them the confidences of your word. And so, Lord, we do thank you for today. We just pray as, as we leave this place that you would go before us, that you would enable us in the week to come, that we would glorify you, Lord, through all things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? We are entering into the Vacation Bible School.